My name is Luis Salazar, and I'm a host here at Walking a Mile in My Shoes, a show where we take a closer look at the people you walk by every day and get to hear their interesting stories. Our first guest is Gavin Brown. Gavin Brown was a congressional candidate for Florida Congressional District 15. Gavin is a rancher and has lived in Florida all his life and ran a pretty tight race against people that had way more money than he did and was still able to come in pretty close and pretty tight on the race. So today we're gonna to talk to Gavin Brown. All right, so pretty basic. Start with your name first. Gavin Brown. Okay, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? Uh, grew up in South Lake County, uh, went to South Lake High School, went to Florida State University, double majored in uh, theater and political science and minored in religion. And uh, came back down after working in New York for the biggest not-for-profit theater company in the country, overseeing a $50 million annual budget uh, to come back and run for office for a seat that I believe was winnable and with the right candidate to actually do that. Uh, but South Lake County is my home and grew up here. All my roots are here. And that's why I came back. I was always big with within the Florida Democratic Party and local party officials. And a lot of them reached out to me, asking me to run at a certain point, because when I worked after New York and I worked in the Georgia race for Biden Harris, which we won, uh, I also worked for the two Senate races that we carried. And after that, I just had a ton of people saying, it's your time, run. You know, it's one thing to run a campaign. It's another to be a candidate. And that's why I decided to do it and jump in early. I didn't wait until the last minute to do so. And and we had a great showing. So now you mentioned uh, running as a candidate. What what race was that for? It was for Congressional District 15 in in Florida. Now, originally, CD 15 would be around where this ranch is. Uh, under Scott Franklin's district. Scott Franklin probably didn't want to run against me and wanted to gerrymander it like so many other people have done across the country. And that is why the new district was set up. So I had to basically run for eight months, not knowing which district, which area I was going to be out of. I had an idea of where it was going to be, but once we figured it out, I had already laid the groundwork and it moved further over to Tampa and made Scott Franklin's seat a lot more Republican, which I wouldn't have run in that seat regardless because that would have been dead man walking territory. So now the redistricting that was an issue in Florida, correct? Yes. Yes. How and, did that affect your race? Uh, a lot because I really didn't know where my seat was until May the end of May. And because how Florida does it, which the Republican legislature decides to do it that way, is to have the race, the primary, be held so late. So it was the end, close to the end of August. And I still didn't know until the end of May. So if you are a candidate just starting out, if you had not jumped in early, you would have had no idea how to run an effective or winning campaign, if that were the case. 
That's why when I started early, I ran out of six different counties because I didn't know where it was going to end up. And then once we finally realized where it ended up, that still was confusing at times, find, finding where on one side of the street, it would be my district. On the other side, it would be another member's district because of how awful the redistricting process was done by the governor and the legislature in Florida. And while running, what was your experience like and what was the outcome? Uh, well, running, it, I, I've run campaigns before on that side. This was my first time as a candidate. And the one thing I'll tell you is you've got to step back as a candidate and let your team, your manager and everybody else kind of take, you know, take it off. But the, the one thing I will say is the stories, the people I met, I banged on doors over 5,000 doors. I made those phone calls where people would say, you're the first candidate that has ever come to my door in the last 10 years. That's a problem because grassroots works. I was outspent close to a million dollars, came in a close second. What does that tell you? It was because I hit those doors. I went into black and brown communities and made my message clear as to where I stood and the bet on Brown movement. And that was why it was such a shock to the establishment how close we came. And I, I am doing everything I can for Democrats up and down the ballot to make sure that they win in November. On election night, I conceded to the person who came in first place, offered all my help and support, and I will continue to do so for any Democrat that calls and asks for it. And how close was this race? It was, uh, uh, I mean, we oversaw 10,000 votes and it was a, a six point, five to six point race once the final tally is in. And in this, in this, uh, this is a disputed, uh, district or well, what's it, special about this district? What is interesting about the district now is that I think candidates on both sides of the aisle don't really know where the district is because of the lack of leadership from the Florida legislature to tell us where the lines were drawn. And that was an issue that I had. I know my other fellow Democrats had and even the Republicans had. I, I saw Republican big yard signs up in areas that were not in the district, but they thought it was in the district. That's a problem. And we, we got to fix that. And that's why I say we were kind of the beta team on redistricting because we had to figure it out ourselves to go out there and do it. But you know what? I was outspent close to a million dollars and still to come in a close second is something that says we, we had the right team. We had the right grassroots and money doesn't always buy political elections. Now, getting back to you, what would you say is your best experience that you've had so far in your life? Oh, um, I mean, this run was, was a lot on me 
stress-wise and financially and everything, but just going out there and talking to people and hearing their concerns and how I could make a change kept me going every day. And I would say that would probably be the, the best part of this. Even though we came close and we didn't get to that finish line, um, all those people that I talked to, and I, I talk about it a lot, but I have this bracelet that I wear every day. Uh, when I went to the Pulse Memorial and I talked to a mother and she pointed and said, well, you know, I want to, I want to give you something. My son's bracelet. And it was one of the ones he had on the night that he, she had to collect him from the hospital. And I think about those stories. I think about those people every single day. I think about the people that lost their health insurance for no reason on their own. And the fact that I could do something as a member of Congress to fix that kept me going every day. Every time I was tired, I'd get up, I'd pound the pavement, I'd get back to it because it meant something to me. And I think everybody who runs for any office should feel the same way. Now you've developed a little taste of what being known by everyone is, a little bit of fame, a little bit of uh, online presence. With that kind of tension on yourself, would you consider yourself to be more loved or more hated by others? You know, I. it was interesting because all the different communities I went into, every time I would meet with them, it was, it was always, wow. Like you came into our community, you talked to us, you heard us. And my grandmother, I'm a grandma's boy, Southern boy. And she always said, it's always better to listen than to speak. And I did that in this race. And I'm proud of the race that I ran. And I look, I look forward to still continuing those conversations with those, pe with those people. But I, the, the hate that I would get would be from people that weren't going to vote for anybody without an R next to their name. Independents, Democrats that I would speak to appreciated my conversations that I would have with them. And so I, I would say overwhelmingly love. Uh, and now that I have run, now they know me. And now I'm just going to have to make sure that we keep that conversation going. Now, you clearly have an interest in politics. Uh, what would you say brought on that interest? Two people. Uh, my mother, who is a lifelong Florida public school educator, had me going door to door for school board candidates when I was nine, 10 years old. And also my aunt, who was a lobbyist in DC, who was a Reagan Republican, who is now a diehard Dem, we got her over and, uh, and they both instilled in me the importance of voting and elections and politics at the local level all the way up. You can't just vote at the top. You got to go all the way down the line to make change. And sometimes it takes younger leadership to make that, some of that change happen. Now we all wish we could do this for ourselves and and there's things in our past that, you know, we wish we could change. 
if if you could change something about yourself, what would it be, or what a, what would it be about your past that you would change if you could? Um, I would say maybe uh, spent more time down here earlier to really work the ground ahead of announcing that I was running. I didn't do it for myself. I announced that I was running for the people of the district. And I got in early, but I wish I would have done it a little earlier. In terms of any mistakes that I would have made, I would say maybe on some campaigns that I worked that I took the eye off the ball a little bit and didn't realize how close certain elections were. And, and, and maybe that would be my only regret, but I'm a forward thinking person. And I think sometimes you dwell on the past. Let's look to the future. Now you say you came down here and you saw a need from your district. What would you say was the number one need that you saw that needed to be changed within district? 15? Well, they, they wanted a winnable candidate. And they wanted somebody who spoke to agriculture, to energy, to jobs. I had a full, you know, perspective on all those issues. Water, you know, blockbuster video used to be a thing. Those jobs ain't coming back. What we could talk about in Polk and Pasco counties were about the future jobs that we could provide, especially with the Build Back Better plan going in. Hillsborough, infrastructure, infrastructure, jobs, jobs, jobs. And I was the only candidate that was out there with a complete plan as to how we could do that. I don't want to expand I-4 anymore. We did that. It doesn't work. What I want is a high-speed sunrail. If I got to DC, trust me, that would have been on my platform. And the environment, ranchers, out here, they depend on a clean water environment. If you talk to people, if you get out of your DC office, you get out of your district office and actually go and talk to the people, that is what matters. Okay, and I, I hear you talking with passion about ranchers. Why, why is that important to you? Well, because look at my babies behind me, <laughs> Ava, Bogart, and uh, and I've got seven cows out there. But if your crops are bad, if your produce is bad, how are you going to make a living as a rancher? I went out to Polk and Pasco and talked about those issues. And I think that's why we came very close in both counties. Now, running in your race, uh, you were the, well, one of the only openly gay candidates in the race. Mm -hmm. How did that being gay in the south how how was how did that affect you growing up especially out here in in rural florida well i mean i was bullied when i was younger i think a, a lot of us in the lgbtq community can understand that but i wasn't going to run fake i ran proud for my community and you know what i think a lot of people are shocked that here i'm a rancher i'm a responsible gun owner yeah, I'm gay. I have no problem telling you that. 
But you know what? We've come a long way since 20 years ago in this area, especially. Everybody knows somebody in their family who is with the community. And I think that has made a shift happen where it's not the number one deciding factor that it was 20 years ago. Now, like a lot of gay people that grow up in rural America, we all make the run to the big city. You speak of New York. Mm -hmm. What was that like going there from rural Florida to New York City being immersed in just openness, right? Mm -hmm. How was that experience for you when you went there and got to live that life? Well, when I was growing up, ever since I was eight, nine years old, my grandmother still always, she used to always say that he always wanted to go to New York. And it was watching all the movies of New York. And it was because it was so different from where I grew up and going up there. And when I went there, it, it was a mini shell shock. But, you know, I, I was working for a great theater company, uh, fundraising, marketing, doing audience services, overseeing budgets. And I, I met so many great people along the way, philanthropists, some celebrities, you know, but I, it, it was very, it was a stark difference, but a lot of people in this area don't get out of the area. And I think it was important for me to go see what urban life was like, you know, in a big city. And I learned a lot from that and still decided to come back to my roots. I heard you speak of your grandmother. Uh, would you say that's someone that you grew up most with or what was your childhood like? So my, gr my grandmother, uh, Dot Hayes, uh, she worked from the ground up. Her husband was a principal at a school in Claremont during the civil rights movement. And he used to order more books on top of what were needed for his school and meet at midnight to give them to a principal of a black school so that kids could have books that weren't falling apart and they could read. She worked her way up to be the VP of Florida Citrus. And we didn't even know until after she passed away, she was one of the first women to graduate from Harvard in the business school. She never told any of us that. That was my grandmother. But she instilled in me work ethic and to be true to yourself. And she told me before she passed away, I wasn't even thinking about running for office or anything like that. And she said, when you run, just know. And, you know, that grandmother look, we all know, with the finger. And she said, just so you know, do not let me down. You be true to yourself. Be true to your character. Do not lie and be yourself. And I said, of course I would, Graham, but I'm not running for office. So apparently she knew something before I did. So. Now, if, if you could name one person that had an impact in your life, who would it be and why? Would it be your grandmother or would it be someone else? I've been blessed to have a number of people in my family and friends that have been huge impacts. My mother, my aunt Cindy, my grandmother, uh, but... You know, I, that's why I'm blessed. I wish more people had that. My dad, uh, was an accountant 
And he, if he were alive today right now, I, I got to tell you, he'd be thinking I was nuts for what I was running. But he, but he, inst he instilled in me business minded. My mom was the more personal, you know, go out and meet everybody and, and do all that. So I think it was kind of a mesh of the two. Uh, but yeah, I would say that. And of course my animals. <laughs> Now, we all know running a campaign is super expensive, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot of basically begging going on for people to help you fund and help you make this a reality. Mm -hmm. What what do you do for money in order to reach this goal? Well, you've got to reach out to caucus groups. You've got to reach out to family, <laughs> friends uh, that are willing to put their money out there to support you, but you got to have a winning message. And that's what we did. And it, it's look, it, it's tough. It is money in politics is a tough game. But what we did was we ran it on a small scale with the best campaign team I could have asked for versus paying out or cashing out a 401k to a DC firm that doesn't know what the district is that I'm running in and losing. And that, that I think is the, the main teller. It's the people you surround yourself with. It's the candidate and the team. And you can't win without both. Now, this seems to be one of the highest points as you get in your life. Do you see yourself, one, running again? And in 10 years, where do you want to be? Well, 10 years, hopefully, to be alive. <laughs> but um, would I consider running again? Possibly. Uh, it, would, it would really depend on the dynamics of the seat or the race. Uh, I've been honored to have so many people reaching out to me to consider certain opportunities and I'll continue to look at that further. Uh, but like I said on election night, the bet on Brown movement has only just begun. Now, a lot of people grow up with religion. Would you consider yourself religious? And if so, what faith or what do you believe in? I consider myself a spiritualist. I do believe in a higher being. But I think denominations have denied so many people opportunities in this country. I grew up a Methodist and the first United Methodist Church in Claremont, I was baptized in and was a member of. However, the Methodist decision to have a split between the LGBTQ community uh, has forced not just myself, family members to leave the church. So I prefer to have me and my God as one and the same and not have a denomination behind it. Now, would you identify yourself as LGBTQ or how Absolutely. do you sexually identify yourself? I, I am a gay man and I am a member of the LGBTQ caucus. And if you could pick one thing about yourself that makes yourself unique, what would it be? I would say, well, and I, I would say it just from what other people have told me is I'm not shy. 
I can talk to any group. I can go into any community and identify. I've seen, I, I've seen you go into neighborhoods <laughs> and just shocked that you just the scare. You're not scared to walk up to people. Right? I am not. I am not terrified of doing that. Maybe at Halloween Horror Nights or something. <laughs> but but I'm I'm not shy because I listen and I want to hear the what's going on in those areas. And I think that probably is one of the reasons why I was a good candidate because there were so many communities I went into that, that like I said earlier, weren't hit in 10 years. As soon as they met me, some of them would bring out their ballots and put the mark in for Gavin Brown. And it was because I wasn't shy, but I'm not, you know, being a showstopper, I'm listening and hearing what their issues are. And, and that's why I think that we did so well in a lot of those communities that a lot of politicians neglect and forget about or take for granted. And I would never do that. Now, you ran a campaign, a uh, pretty big deal. If you could right now at this time, what would be your goal in life as of right now? To make the world a better place. And if that's volunteering for organizations, if that's me going door to door for other candidates or phone banking to make sure that we have a reliable Congress, a reliable state legislature, county commissions, school board. Our, our nation is under attack at all levels right now. And as a concerned American, I'll do whatever I can to make sure that we make it a better place. Now, saying, saying that, what do you think it will take in order for this to stop happening, this attack to stop happening in order for people to become aware? It, it's going to take younger, fresh leadership to come up in the ranks, and that is at all levels. That includes caucuses, state parties, uh, county commissions, city councils, all across the board, because people are sick and tired of the old guard, and it's time to bring in fresh, new, energetic leadership to lead the way for a new generation. Now, we all as children, we grow up and we want to be doctors. I myself wanted to be a marine biologist, but I suck at math, so I could never <laughs> do it. You, as in your earlier life, what, what did you aspire to be? What, what was your goal to grow up to be? You know, I, well, I, I went back and forth, and it's funny you said that about marine biologists, because being around SeaWorld, you know, I always kind of had that in the back of my head. I kind of wanted to be a meteorologist for a while. I thought, you know, hey, you can be wrong 100% of the time, still have a job. But I, um, but honestly, uh, just going into public service of working in government, I could, I could have seen myself going up to DC, working in the Capitol or the state legislature, which I did for a little bit. Uh, but it was to give back. And that's why when I went to work for a roundabout in New York, a not-for-profit theater company to raise money so that kids that were below means could have music, dance, and theater classes. And so it was really about just giving back whatever field I went into. So I'm going to close out with this last question, and I want you to think about it. What event has happened to you 
that has changed your life, either for the better or the worse? Um, I, I would have to say when I, when I was in just getting out of college and my best friend Patrick was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, he was in between going from one university to another and neither university wanted to pay for his treatments once it started. This was before the Affordable Care Act. This is what got me going in, in terms of trying to help people. And he called me and he said, I've got stage. He said stage two. It was really stage four. And I have $150,000 in debt. What am I going to do? I was working on a state Senate race. And he, the candidate knew something was up. And I said, okay, I'll tell you. And he said, get me his info, get me on the phone. He and a congresswoman figured it out so that he wouldn't be saddled with, or his family with $180,000 debt. He passed away six months after that. And when that happened, I said, I have to stay engaged. I have to do something. Because the fact that it took that for that to happen is unacceptable. And that's probably why I'm still in this and still in this game and we'll still continue to be engaged. All right, Gavin, thank you for sitting down with us. It was a uh, nice speaking with you yep. and hopefully we hear more from you. Okay. Thank you.